Recording in progress. Hey, blessings. Thank you so much for tuning in to She Speaks. I am Prophet Sparkle Robinson, and I'm so excited once again to be here with you for this podcast and for this time. You guys know I always have amazing guests, and we try to bring forth um, subjects that really matter, that really minister to your heart, and that will impact your life. And so today I have Apostle Anthony Wilson. He is the pastor of Shore Foundation Community Fellowship Church. He is a husband, he is a father, he is a community leader, he's a teacher of the word, and he helps equip people um, within the body of Christ to preach the word effectively. And so please just help me welcome Apostle Anthony Wilson. Welcome. How are you? Hey, God bless you. I'm just uh, thankful to be on here. Uh, We've been uh, kind of working at this for a while to get this to happen. And so I'm just so thankful uh, that it worked out for us to come together and do the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are going to get right into things. And today we're going to talk about family matters and I believe that this subject is important because of everything that is happening in our society. We see um, people dying left and right. We see violence left and right. We see the honoring of life, but really life not being honored, really. And we're seeing these families that are going through a hard time. We're seeing people... um, maybe put their own definition on family and in all of that. So with all of that considered, we will talk about family matters today. So the first thing that I want to ask you, um, Apostle Anthony, is how does the Bible describe the family? Well, that's kind of a broad question, you know, because when you look at the Bible, the Bible shares with us such a human version of family. Um, we see families that are of all different makeups, right? We see families that are that are broken. We see families that, you know, um, look uh, almost picture perfect at one point and then messed up at another point that, you know, family is about what God has put together. He put a man and a woman. He said for them to be fruitful and multiply, raise godly children and populate the earth to extend his kingdom into the earth. And so um, some of those families, you know, are, are families that have man and woman, you know, uh, children. Some are just a mom. Some are just a dad. But ultimately, God wanted to see man and woman come together, produce children, and then train those children up in the ways of the Lord. Absolutely. Great. Great. So with that Um, all considered, what do you believe, do you think that this world has made their own definition of family? And if so, um, why do you think that is, or or how did that come about, or what's going on with that? Well, I I think it's human nature. We're always looking for um, things that fit us, right? We're looking for what is 
easy, what is convenient for us, what is comfortable for us. And sometimes conforming to the ways of God are just not comfortable. They're not convenient. And so I would say yes in today's world. And, and I think it's it began way before our time. You know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. That man was always trying to find a way around what God you know, had ordained or the way God had set things up. And I just think it's a sign of the times. It really is that even, even the way, even the words that we use, right. Um, you know, I heard a quote one time that, uh, words don't have meaning people do. Right. And so any word you use, you've got to ask somebody, what do they mean when they use that word? You know, because they may be meaning something totally different. You're sitting there having two different conversations and you don't realize it because their meaning of this word is different from yours. And so in a world that is that is so much about expressing and about my own truth, not the truth, but my truth, we have to slow down and say, okay, so what do you mean by family? What is your definition of marriage? What is your definition of husband and wife? What does it mean to you? And what are you saying? And then go back to the word of God and say, well, here's the picture that we see in scripture. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we see these customized families in a sense, you know, people kind of just doing their own thing. And then um, in the midst of that, what I've heard and what I've observed is that they create their own family and then they want God to bless it. Yeah. Which is interesting <laughs> all by itself and so of course that you know can be a conversation for another time but um so with all that consider what we just talked about what challenges do you believe that the average family is facing right now so the husband and the wife and the children or even the single mom or the single dad what do you see even as a pastor what have you observed that they're facing right now um, a lot of families are facing um, what I would call a, a misunderstanding of purpose, right? Uh, so often when people come together, you know, for, you know, marriage, th the greatest struggle is why? Why did you come together for marriage? You know, uh, be because we live in a society that promotes meism, and this is the word that our church has kind of coined this phrase, meism. I don't know if it's really a word. I think we made it up. <laughs> but what we mean by meism is that everything is centered around me. You know, so even the building of my family is not around God's purpose for man and woman to come together and produce offspring and train them up in the ways of the Lord. It's about I had this picture in my mind. That by this age, I was going to have this. And by that age, I was going to have that. And I was going to live this way. And my husband was going to look like this. My wife was going to look like that. I was going to have 2.5 kids. And, a, you know, all, you know right. this picture that the world has imposed on us and pressured us with, we're running after that instead of after the purpose of God. Like, what is God's purpose for marriage? Why has God brought you and this person together? And why aren't you working to become a cohesive unit to accomplish that? You know, me and my wife were just talking earlier as we were getting ready for 
uh, a marriage uh, a, a marriage session uh, with a with a group. We're doing, doing a marriage group, and we're talking about being yoked together and what that looks like. And when you yoke two horses together or you yoke two oxen together, there's only one master. There's only one person steering these two oxen or two horses that are yoked together because what it does is it gives you a greater yield, you know, per per workload. And so you can put more work, more load on two than you would on one. And that was the picture from the very beginning is that God said, well, wait a minute, Adam, you can't do all that I'm calling you to do alone. So two is going to be better than one. It wasn't so that one could, you know, lord over the other, you know, that I don't know, even know where that even came from, because the Bible doesn't actually teach that. But somehow we've gotten in our mind where, you know, the head means I'm in charge. But realistically, the head means that you're accountable. (laughs) And nobody wants to talk about that. The head means when you are the person who is in charge of the project, they don't go to the people <laughs> that were helping you with the project. They go to you. And I know you understand that because you've been in charge of projects before and you're the person whose head is going to roll. Not not them. They won't even know who those people are. So yeah. when men want to be in charge, they got to understand that. Wait a minute. That means you're accountable. And so these challenges um, are causing people uh, to burn out very quickly because they don't understand why I'm here. They don't understand the purpose because I came into this thinking that she's supposed to make me happy or he's supposed to make me happy. She's supposed to fulfill my need. He's supposed to fulfill my need. And we're supposed to be fulfilling God's purpose. And along the way, the secondary consequence is companionship, you know, romance, enjoying that person. You know, the Bible is not against you enjoying one another. As a matter of fact, I think it's a Proverbs chapter five who says, enjoy the wife of your youth, like a loving deer and a graceful doe. You know, it even says, you know, I mean, it, it kind of gets a little graphic, so I won't even say that part. But, you know, it, it really gets into like enjoy each other. So God is not against that. But what he what he's for is that you come together for his purpose. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that leads us right into um, the next question. So beautifully, really, (laughs) um, because I'm thinking about how we've had conversations with people in different families and uh, they have issues. And um, oftentimes we may hear people say, well, uh, she's not doing her role or Mm -hmm. he's not doing his role. So with that being said, what do you think about families operating in roles or what does that look like well i'm i'm a person and 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 my congregation will tell you this and anybody who spent any time around me will tell you this that i i like to question some of the traditions that we have you know just to make sure that they're supposed to be there right and this whole idea of the roles you know you actually don't see that language in the Bible where, where you see that is in the, the little printed <laughs> headings at the top of chapters, which is not actually God's word the, the, the editor put that in there to kind of give you a bookmark for where you're at or kind of express what might be in that chapter, but that's actually not what's there. And so we look at these roles and we say, husbands do this. 
Wives do that. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. What the Bible actually gives us a picture of is that marriage is a metaphor. And marriage is a metaphor for Christ and his church. Jesus is actually the substance. And so in a marriage, if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, right, and we start at verse 21, verse 21 says, submit one to another unto the Lord. Everybody skips that. They jump right over that because in most people's Bible is this little heading <laughs> that tells you that this next section has started, but that's not actually a part of your Bible. Actually, I would suggest that you go and you just black them, black them all out and read it for yourself <laughs> and find out what the Bible is actually saying. And so verse 21 is separated from verse 22 in most people's Bible by this little heading that says roles in marriage or husband and wife. I don't know. You know, I'm not looking at a Bible right now, but if you go and look at yours, it's there. I guarantee it. <laughs> and then you see 522 wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Then it goes on and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, and then it goes on to say that I show you a mystery that the marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. That's the mystery. The mystery of marriage is that it's supposed to be a picture of Christ and his church. Now, when you read that, then you go back and you say, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Wait a minute. Is that mean that the husband doesn't submit to the Lord? No, let's say that we are the church, right? So we are the bride. We are the wife. So we both should be submitting to Christ, right? And so, and so right there, it's not just there the wife submitting. The husband should be submitting unto the Lord as well. Now, how much easier is that for you to work together if you're both being yoked together and you have one person given the directions? Uh, it'd be impossible for two people yoked together to go in separate directions. That's the whole point of the yoke is so that we're going in the same direction. And who's giving the directions? The Lord. So often people are in marriages and they're both trying to give directions, you know. And so we try to settle the argument of who's supposed to give directions. And, well, the Bible says the man is is the head. So he gives the directions. Yeah, but. He also says that Christ is the head of the man. So it, there's the argument settled again, <laughs> that at the end of the day, if we're going to talk about roles, both of our roles is to submit to Christ. But secondly, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So how does he want believers to treat one another lovingly the same way that Christ loved us? We're supposed to love one another. And that's throughout the entire New Testament. So when we separate that, when we say marriage is something separate from being a Christian, no, we wouldn't say that. We would say that if if I was already loving one another as Christ loved the church, if I was already being loving towards people, why does that change in my marriage? Now I get right. to not love because I'm the head of my household. Right. This is that stuff <laughs> that really messes people up. And my prayer is that we go back and we look at marriage as the metaphor for Christ in the church. And we look at Jesus as the blueprint for how we're supposed to relate to each other as husband and wife. Wow. That's so good. It's so good. And so a couple of thoughts came to mind, but one of the first thoughts was, is that with that scripture being misinterpreted and mis 
um, misaligned, I guess, in marriage is that that's where spiritual abuse can come in, right? Because they're trying to take the Bible and make it apply to however they want to, I guess, operate their house or or, um, treat their spouse or whatever it is. And so with that being said about the spiritual abuse part, let's even talk about abuse in general and how sometimes um, when people don't understand their roles, quote unquote, or their their whatever we want to call them, (laughs) um, is that abuse is inevitable. Would that be true or what would you say to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, um, and this is going to seem off topic, but I'm going to tie it back in. In the parable of the sower, um, there's this stony ground and the stony ground is the ground of the individual who heard the word but did not understand it. And when a person doesn't understand the word, they open themselves up for a demonic attack. It literally says that the devil comes in and steals it, right? And so that seed that fell on stony ground, he uses birds in the first interpretation, but when he explains to them what's happening, he says the devil comes in and steals the seed. And so many of us, for lack of understanding, have had powerful seed that would have birthed, you know, great marriages stolen from us because we did not understand. And what happens is that now you have a person with no understanding trying to do something that they don't understand what it is. So it's like it's like, you know, a kid getting behind the wheel of a car with no understanding of how to drive it. That's going to be a car accident. You know, yeah. and, and marriage is more like a kid getting in the seat of an airplane oh. and not knowing what, what they're doing behind the wheel and crashing that airplane. And here's why I say an airplane, because there's a whole lot of people on board. And in marriages, there's a whole lot of people on board. It's not just me and my spouse. It's the children. It's the family members. It's the aunts, the uncles. There's a ripple effect that happens when these marriages crash and burn and it's because you have people who without understanding the you know bible the, the scripture is clear that my people perish for the lack of knowledge or the lack of understanding uh, uh, uh proverbs says in all your gettings get an understanding and so we have to take i think a greater um a, a greater accountability with sitting down with people and helping them to understand what marriage is about instead of saying, yay, they're getting married. Cause that's what we do. Somebody announces they're getting married. Everybody claps. You know what? You better, you better hold your applause <laughs> until you know that they understand what they're doing. Even if we are talking about in a Christian context, that doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. They, 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 right. they may have no idea. And so in that you find these abusive behaviors because you have a person, you have people that don't understand what this is about. They don't understand that they're supposed to be coming together, working together for a common goal. They think that that person is there to meet their needs. And that is, oh, that is one of the, there, there's a there's a term in the Bible called selfish ambition. And I remember looking up this term. When you look up the term selfish ambition, when we hear that, we think, oh, okay, so they're selfish and they just want to accomplish things. That's not what that word that means. This word actually means that they are a mercenary and they are only in it for how they can benefit. And we have a lot of mercenaries in marriage. 
They're in marriage for how they can benefit from it. And when you go into something that way, once there's no benefit, then you throw the thing away, right? And and this is what's happening to marriages. And there are people that are saying, well, yeah, uh, I just, I'm not feeling her no more. Or, you know, I just, wait a minute. What God has brought together, let no one separate. If he joined you together for a purpose, you're supposed to be seeking him to understand that purpose, not, well, she's not meeting my needs. That you're a mercenary. You're in it for what you can get out of it. And of course, that's going to lead to abuse because it's focused on me, 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 me. And so, yeah. And and whether it's man or woman, like, like you said, a lot of times it's the man because we have taught these quote unquote roles. But we haven't taught men that the real role of leadership is being the foundation and being the one who is uh, who can be counted on the one who uh, when all else fails, I can trust my husband. I can trust this man to care for the family that he's willing to make sacrifices and it doesn't make him wimpy to to be a man of sacrifice. It doesn't mean that that he's less than because he's not hitting a woman upside the head and making her do what he wants her to do. But he's willing to love her into position. He's willing to love her to health because he wants to see her better than she was apart from him. As a husband, you ought to take it personal. If your wife is not growing and into the woman that she should be. And what I mean by taking it personal is that you ought to say, man, I'm not loving her right. Because it's love that really brings us to the place where we're supposed to be. He didn't draw us through anger and wrath. He drew us through loving kindness and tender mercy. That is the ground or the atmosphere that produces the best growth. You don't you don't yell at a plant to make it grow. Right. You don't kick it and stomp it. That's not going to make it grow. You've got to tend to it. You've got to water and sunlight. You've got to check on it constantly. You know, people see me checking on my wife and, you know, you, you check on her because I'm, I want to make sure she's all right, you know, because I want to make sure that she's growing. And I invest myself into her growing, not her using her to make me better, using her to satisfy my needs. This is why... And we can go into a lot deeper stuff that I won't go into. But this is why you have so much not only, you know, abuse in in that sense, the, the, the spiritual abuse, but this is demonic. The Bible would call that oppression. And so anybody with power, right, can be oppressive because you have the you have the ability. It's like when people talk about, you know, and I know this is not for this show, but just as an example, racism, racism is based upon having the power. It's not based upon you not liking somebody. You can not like somebody all day. And but when you have the ability to control their resources, when you have the ability to to make sure that they they don't eat or they don't have good jobs. And that's what you're seeing in some of these marriages is the person with the power is, well, you if you don't do that, then I'm not doing this. And if you don't do that, then I'm cutting you off. And if this happens and I'm doing that, that that's oppression, you know, and we don't want that in marriage. And that shows me that there's a lack of understanding of what we're doing here. Sorry if I'm long winded. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're you're fine because you're answering the question very well, you know, because I think as the body of Christ, we need to get a good understanding, you know, just as the word says, a good understanding of, of what this looks like, what we, what 
some of us may be dealing with or even ministering to, you know, and even effectively, how do we minister to this and, and talk to this? And you and I had talked um, in regards to even, um, I was telling you some some communication that I get sometimes from some of the wives mm-hmm. and how they're they're going through a lot and they're they're having to deal with a lot because of how they're being treated. And so with that being said, how do you as a pastor, how do you minister to that situation? If you have the couple there and this wife is telling you all this stuff that this husband is doing, how do you minister to that effectively? Well, I, I think the I think the hardest part of that is having the relationship um, strong enough to be able to speak to some of these things. A lot of times, when stuff like that is happening, the individual that's doing it it doesn't want to be around people, and doesn't want the wife to be around people. They find themselves really isolated so that this can continue to go on. Um, when that person hides out and is, you know, aloof and isolated, it is really difficult to make an impact in that person's life because they, they kind of know what they're doing. Um, and because they know what they're doing, they avoid accountability and they'll make it seem like, well, it's not accountability. It's people in my business, which is really a stronghold that needs to be broken. It is a false argument. That needs to be demolished. And as long as they're willing to run, <laughs> you can't really handle that. So what you do is, as pastors, I think we have to model, you know, what a good marriage looks like. We have to actually show them and allow the young men or the men that are around us to see us and our wives interact. You know, there are sometimes where people have actually watched me and my wife have a disagreement and they said, man, I didn't know a disagreement can go so smoothly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because just because I disagree with her doesn't mean I'm going to disconnect from her. And that's something that the Lord showed us years ago is that we can disagree and not have to disconnect. Like, okay, you don't agree. Give me a kiss, baby. Let's go. <laughs> you know, right. so often right. when we disagree, I'm turning my back. I don't want to talk to you for days. And you know what that does? That makes you bitter, not better. And one of the oh, things yeah. that, the, that, that the Bible speaks to specifically to men, and I've always, you know, looked at this and I've shared this with men. I said, men, why do you think God specifically says through the Apostle Paul to the man, do not be bitter towards your wife? I believe it's because that bitterness is what brings about the abuse. If you if you can keep from becoming bitter and how do you keep from becoming bitter? You forgive. You walk in forgiveness. You and, and you walk in humility. You can't be walking around here thinking so highly of yourself. Well, she can't say that to me or she can't all this kind of weird stuff like, hey, calm down, bring turn it down a notch. You know, we're just having a discussion. She's not attacking your manhood. She's not, you know, right now you're having a discussion. But so often men, because they struggle with self-esteem, they struggle with uh, what manhood is. A lot of times they're taking that out on the woman and they're bitter. That bitter thing, man, I wish we could really take a hammer to that because 
when Paul was so specific about that, that means we ought to take heed. Like, why is he saying to the man specifically, do not be bitter towards uh, your wives? And then he says to the fathers, do not be harsh towards your children. What is yeah. he doing? He's dealing with, I believe, abusive men in that time. We think we're just reading it like, oh, it's no big deal. But no, bitterness oh. towards your wife harshness towards your children that's what we're dealing with right that's what we're seeing sometimes out of men sometimes out of women as well but especially out of men is that wait a minute hey love <laughs> care for you're supposed to be tending to you're supposed to be developing you know you, you, this is your garden right that's where adam was put in the first place a gardener yeah. is not a rough and tumble person a gardener is is very delicate a gardener is very strategic a gardener understands that if i put too much of this it's going to ruin this too much water and i drown my plant right too much sunlight and i kill it so you're constantly checking in to make sure that the wife is blooming that the children are growing if if we're going to be men that's the kind of men we want to be we don't want to be men beating our chest and, you know, I'll do what I say. That's not the way he's designed this. And so I say to men, be careful of the bitterness. Watch out for that, because if that creeps in, that's really going to degrade your relationships quickly. That's good. And I'm so glad you're speaking to that, because I have to be honest with you. Some girlfriends and I were talking and how we see a lot of times in the church is that there's all these teachings about what women need to be doing, <laughs> all these teachings about what wives need to be doing, but there's hardly ever any teaching on what the man, the husband should do. And so um, with that being said, one day I just posted on my Facebook page, like, is anybody asking about the weary wife, mm. asking her what she needs instead of telling her what she should be doing? Because it's always about doing instead of really checking in on this person. But we can even flip it, too, uh, with the husbands. Is anybody checking in on the weary husbands yeah. as well? You know, and so I'm so glad that you, you know, you're speaking to this because it's so needed. It's, it's almost like an imbalanced type teaching in yeah. a sense yeah. because yeah. it's all this weight on the woman, you know. So. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um a shameless plug. Um, I think her name is um, Levita Brown. Um, she's got a podcast called Hanging Out with Jesus. And I was on her podcast and um, you have to look it up, but it was called uh, Men, Men Who Pray or Men Praying for Their Wives. And me and a few other guys were on this podcast, man. And I really loved hanging out with those brothers because you can tell they really loved their wives. They really were intercessors for their wives. And one of the things that I think is hindering men from really being the husbands that they're supposed to be is that how many men are actually interceding for their wives? And I'm and I when I say intercede for her, I mean standing in the gap for her, not praying for her to to, to act right. <laughs> right? That's not intercession. Right. 
That's right. not really supplicating for her. I mean, praying for her to grow in the Lord, praying for her uh, to fulfill God's purpose, praying for her to be everything that God has called her to be, praying for her to be what the children need, to be the 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 the, the wife uh, that God imagined for her to be, and, and and pouring out your heart for her because when you do that, you can't be bitter. And be praying passionately for her. Those two things don't work together. Now you can you you can pray vain repetitions and stay bitter. You know, uh, you can just you know, oh God, why won't she act right? That that's not praying for her. That's praying for you. I'm talking about praying for her. I'm talking about praying for her to blossom for her. And because we got all the books about praying wives. You know, we got all the seminars about wives praying for their husbands, but where are the husbands that actually, you know, in the middle of the night will reach over and lay hands on their wife and pray for her in the middle of the night, you know, uh, wake up in the morning and find himself by himself praying for his family and his children and asking God to, to, to really bless them and help them blossom and bloom and become who they're supposed to be in him. And that Lord help me to be the father or to be um, the way the Bible says it about the father, our heavenly father, to be the husbandman. And the husbandman is one who comes and trims and takes care of and makes sure that things are growing collect correctly. Lord, make me that individual. I don't want it to all be about what she can do for me. One of the things that me and my wife learned a long time ago when we started marriage counseling and we had to correct a couple. And when we said it, out of our mouth because we both said it we we're like wow that's so true so many people go into marriage with this 50 50 idea right this 50 50 idea and we saw a lot of problems with that because really it's 100 percent your responsibility and 100 percent their responsibility it's not 50 50 because if i only do my half and then i stop then what about, you see what I'm saying? And so well, I'm only responsible for half the marriage. No, it said the two become one, right? And so when they become one, you go from two divisible parts. This is the way my wife explained it to one indivisible part. Yeah. Right. And so it's a hundred percent our responsibility for our marriage to reflect what Christ wants it to reflect. Not 50% your responsibility and 50% mine. <laughs> so you know, I, amen. Because <laughs> I could go amen. on. Amen, and, <laughs> and you know, and even thinking about that scripture, how the two become one. Like I've often thought, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Apostle Anthony, but I've often thought like, just because you are at the altar, you are like exchanging vows. You're not becoming. You're not just becoming one in that moment. But it takes time to become one, and with this whole process and learning each other, growing with each other in understanding who God has called the two of you yes. to become in him. And so would that be correct or would that be? No, all for what? no, I would agree with that because I see it in the same way that I see salvation at the, at the moment that you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you know, you put your trust in him, you are saved. But for the rest of your life, you are being saved. <laughs> you know, you are saved and on your right. way to heaven. Right. But you're also being delivered from things all the way until the time you're in his presence. Marriage is the same way. You make this commitment to become one at the altar. Right. In God's eyes. 
Now he's not judging you separately anymore as it relates to the marriage piece. He's looking at this marriage as one unit. And now you've got to learn how to be that one unit. The Bible says if any man is right. in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. But he yet still says we have to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, which sounds like a continual process of growing and renewing. And so in marriage is the same way. You start off with the goal of being one. And then the prayer is that we be one. And so we're working out what that looks like. And how do we do that? We both have to serve one master, one Lord. There can't be two Lords. You know, you see what I'm saying? So you got right. the husband trying to be Lord. Well, husband is the Lord, Lord, <laughs> because if you try to be Lord, you're going to miss out on what the Lord is actually saying as it relates to this particular marriage. And so our goal is for both of us to line up. We usually draw like a triangle, right? And we say, husband, wife, you're here. Where you're supposed to be meeting is at the top of this triangle in the Lord. That's how you become one mm -hmm. is you slowly grow together into relationship with God. And that's what makes you one. As long as you're about me, you're at the, you're at the bottom of this triangle or this pyramid. And man, you're far away from each other. And people are trying mm -hmm. to do marriage there. They're oh, not doing marriage yeah. in this progressive, gradual growth towards being in Christ, being in the Lord. We're trying to meet in God, right? right. We're trying to meet in him. And so when mm -hmm. we meet in him, that's where we achieve the oneness. But if we stay here on our opposite polar ends and try to do marriage, see, no wonder we can't communicate. No wonder we're not on the same page. I'm yelling at you from way across the room and I, you don't know what I'm saying. You know, and But when we come together in the Lord, then it's him that brings us together. He's the ultimate mediator. He's the ultimate guide. He's the ultimate point of reference for us. I know that I'm off because of the Lord, not because of anything else. She knows that man, I'm off because the Lord, I feel the check of the Holy Spirit. You know, not his face. <laughs> he's frowning. Right. He's not talking to me. So I must be off. No, because if that's that means we're staying down here in the flesh. We're not getting into the spirit, into the presence of the Lord and coming together. And it and it takes, you know, truly humbling ourselves to be able to even do that, because we I heard somebody say years ago, give up your right to be right in marriage like give up right. your right and 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 just and just make sure that you are taking in um or, or submitting to what god is saying and give up your right to be right so absolutely <laughs> wow well um in in the respect of time <laughs> yes. i want to ask just one more question that i thought about as you were talking and so i want you to speak to this this might be a little interesting but so there's a new trend going around where women are now proposing ah, to the man. Ah. Okay. What say you, Apostle? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, here's here's the thing about it. Um, it, it definitely goes against our tradition, right? Um, and it's one of those things that, if I look in Scripture. 
Um, the whole proposal thing, you don't really see it clearly as laid out in scripture as like a command or anything. And so it's not like the man is commanded to go and propose to the wife or vice versa. I think the understanding is he that finds a wife, right? Finds a good thing. I think that's what shapes our, our perspective on when we approach this. And so we're thinking that, well, if he finds a wife, you know, then he should ask for her hand in marriage. And, and there's a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of tradition in how that looks and how it's to be done. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that tradition, but I don't really have, and this is just, you know, me trying to answer the work through this question and answer this question. I don't really have a scriptural answer to that particular situation. Um, because here's the thing. Women have proposed to their husbands and those marriages have worked. Most marriages men have proposed and it's still 50, 50. So I don't think it's like a jinx or some kind of weird, you know, um, is it non-traditional? Could it be saying something about, you know, how they're going, how they're approaching the marriage or could it be nothing? You know, right. um, scripture says, and I think this falls into that category because there's no express or explicit, you know, scriptural guidelines on it is that all things are lawful to me, but not everything is beneficial, you know? Right. And so we have to determine, you know, if that is something that can work or not work, I don't know that I can say, well, that's wrong because I really wouldn't have a basis except for my personal experience and tradition. Now, if somebody's listening and you can make an argument from scripture of why that shouldn't happen, I, I, I will concede, you know, but, you know, make sure you're reading it in context and you're bringing it in context that you're not just pulling a scripture just to, you know, fit your argument here. You're just trying to make it work. And so I don't know. I, it's uncomfortable, right? <laughs> it feels uncomfortable for yeah. the more traditional person. But at the end of the day, I don't know that I can say definitively that there's anything wrong with it. Um, it's just new and awkward. And and I think it's attached to this modern way of doing things. And if we don't take it case by case, we'll lump it in with some other things that Scripture does forbid that's that are that's happening today. You know, but this may not be one of those things. And we don't want to just lump everything in together. We want to treat each situation um, on its own merit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you for answering that, because I, I just thought about that and just considering the things I'm seeing on social media. And, and you're right, because traditionally it's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> right. But then the other part of it is like, well, who said it was wrong? Right. Though, you know, so. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. this, this modern world. You have to slow down and you have to deal with your own personal bias, right? A lot of us okay. don't deal with our bias. You know, I could do an entire podcast on just dealing with my bias because right. if I can deal with my bias, then I can be impartial when I look at situations case by case. A lot of times we go into, not a lot of times, the first instinct is to act off of my personal bias. Really what we have to do is learn how to recognize, uh-oh, that's my bias. Let me back down. Let me take a minute. Let me pray. 
Let me say, Lord, what what am I actually seeing? Not prophesy, counsel, um, pray off of or out of my bias. I've got to right. deal with me. The Bible says first, if anyone comes after me, Jesus said, you must first deny yourself. That includes your bias. Oh. As a matter of fact, that's probably most of what you have to deny is your bias and your preference <laughs> right. in order to follow Jesus correctly. And so uh -huh. we got to deal with that bias with a lot of things that are happening today. And once we do that, now we can speak clearly and from a pure heart on subjects that might be controversial. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I thank you for sharing this time <laughs> with me. I really do because you are such a um, you're such a great speaker, and and as you are, you're a teacher. That's what that's what I get from it from the whole conversation, and even being in your classes in the past. Like I, I love to hear you explain things, and I love that the Bible is your basis Amen. for it. You know, because a lot of times people can just say stuff and, okay, where's the word, though? I'm going to need the word with it. And so I'm glad that, that the word is your basis. And thank you so much for just um, laying it out for us, almost like a, a seven-course meal, laying it out for us and letting us taste it one by one to see what God is saying in the midst of family mattering. Amen. You know, so... Thank you, Apostle Anthony, so Thank much you. for your time. And Thank you. Um, will you um, close us in prayer? Yes, of course, of course. Thank you again for having me. Father, we just bless you. We just honor you. We just praise you. We give you glory. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, Sister Sparkle, Prophet Sparkle and her ministry and uh, the people that she's reaching. God, I, I pray that as this broadcast, as this podcast reaches uh, ears, God, that it would equip edify and encourage uh, the body of Christ uh, to go to another level. Lord, I just thank you uh, for the opportunity to join together uh, with Sparkle in, in, in on this podcast and just minister. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the fellowship. I thank you for her life and the people that you're pouring into through her as your vessel, Lord. I pray that you would return back to her. Um, everything that she pours out, the virtue that she gives out, Lord, uh, cover her family, God, and uh, beautiful family, Lord, a wonderful picture of a godly family. I just pray, God, that as she is that example, God, that uh, that listeners would be able to glean from her life as well. And so, God, we thank you for this opportunity to be on air and just lifting you up and teaching the word and uh, just a wonderful opportunity. Lord, I pray that you touch hearts, you change lives in Jesus name. Amen and amen. 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 Thank Amen. you. Thank you. God bless so, you. So, all right, Apostle Anthony, well, tell your family.